Welcome to Hope for the Heart. This is William Rogers bringing the message today out of the book of Revelation. I'm in chapter 10 of the book of Revelation. So uh, I wanted to give you my title for today because sometimes that will explain what we're going to be talking about. My title today is that God finally speaks. Uh, God finally speaks. Last week the title was, Is God Still in Control? And we saw very clearly that this chapter is, well, you may not have seen all clearly because we didn't finish the chapter. But the, the chapter very clearly, I think, lays out that uh, uh, God is still in control of everything. And it's not necessarily a message for us from Revelation, but it's a message uh, that I will explain for those that will be going through the book of Revelation uh, in, in real time, living it, in other words. And so the, today's message is God finally speaks. And that is a, uh, uh, a tremendous message because so often we wonder, when is all of what God promised going to happen? It just seems to delay and delay. It just seems to take forever. I mean, we know certain things are coming. We know the rapture is coming. We know uh, the tribulation period is coming. We know the kingdom is coming. Well, when is it going to be here? When is it going to happen? And so we see in this message that God finally speaks and gives the world that message that uh, we're, we're going to see in just a few minutes. So let me give you a reference of, of the, the text. It's, it's Revelation chapter 10, verses 4 through 11. And I will read this for you and give you uh, an idea. If you want to follow along in your Bible, you can. I certainly encourage that. So without uh, delay, let me uh, give you the, the text. The Word of God says in Revelation chapter 10, verse 4, reads like this. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there shall be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished, as he preached to his servants the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven I heard again speaking with me, saying, Go take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. And I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little book, and he said to me, Take it and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey." I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, You must prophesy again concerning many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Well, at first reading, this might seem like a very difficult passage, or you might feel like you got lost in the wording here, and sometimes that can happen, especially with prophetic uh verses. And, but I want to give it to you in, in an outline form so that maybe it will help you. I, I always hope that an outline will, will sometimes help. Last week we used uh, the, the beginning part of this outline where you gave you number one last week the messenger and we saw who this angel uh, was. It's not Jesus Christ even though some, uh, many people actually say that they think it is Christ. But I, I don't think, do not think it's uh, Christ at all. I think it's perhaps probably Michael or Gabriel who this strong angel is according to verse 1. I don't think it's the Lord. Then I gave you number 2. There's a movement. There's a standing on the land and the sea. 
And we said this represents the authority uh, of, of God's possession. He owns the land and the sea, and he's taking it back. That's what this scroll is about. And we mentioned the little book that was in, found in verse 3 uh, as part of this movement because he had in his hand a little book. That's his angel has his, in his hand a book, and he placed his right foot on the land and the sea. And so this book becomes a, a topic in, 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 in both parts of this chapter. Uh, one is it's, it's the angel is holding it, and then another part, he's, uh, being, uh, John is being asked to take it from the angel and then eat it, and then he gives a description of what happens after he eats it. So today I want to give you not just number one, the messenger and the movement, number two, but I want to give you number three, a mandate, and that's found in verse four. And uh, we'll begin by just explaining these scriptures so that we can understand pretty much what's in there. If we, if, uh, hopefully it helps. But number three uh, of the outline, we see a mandate. And the mandate is, uh, you will see it very quickly in verse four. And when he had seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. I heard the voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. That's the mandate. Do not write them. Well, you say, well, why is that important? Well, I think it's important because... John's whole command based on Revelation 1.19 was to write what you see, write the things which are about to be, and he does. He writes, he's been writing that. He always did this. He said, I was about to write in verse 4, but he could not write. I heard the voice from heaven saying, seal up the things and do not write them. John started out to write, and the voice from heaven says, stop it, don't do it. And so you say, well, what, what is all this about? Well, the, the original command to write is the Lord who now rescinds it. Whether speaking himself, whether Christ speaks, or whether this who is speaking, we don't know, but he uses this messenger, the strong angel, uh, to say that this is too terrifying or too frightening. The nature of the judgment is too fearful. Don't write it. When in actuality, we don't really know why that is given to us like that. Why did he even mention it? We just don't know. But it's pretty amazing that the stuff that has already been written, like the like chapter nine, I think is frightening. And and, and to say that this might be too frightening to write, I, I can't even imagine what the people on earth are going to have to go through uh, if if that is the case. But it it reminds us again of Daniel chapter eight verses twenty six and twenty seven, where it says, "In the vision of the evenings and the mornings which have been told, but keep the vision." Secret. Don't tell people. Chapter 12 of Daniel, verse 9 says, Go your way, Daniel. These words are concealed. Seal up till the end of time. There are times when God just wasn't going to tell everything. Don't write that. It's very unusual, but this is one uh, that is the mandate of God. At the end of the book of Revelation, in chapter 22, interestingly, John is told, Do not seal up the words of prophecy of this book, for the time is near. John was told to write in the beginning in chapter 1, verse 19, and he's told to make sure that nobody covered up uh, what he wrote at the end. But this part is a mandate to conceal. Don't even write it. But yet John was allowed to see or to hear it. So uh, we don't really know too much beyond that, and I'm not going to, I can't ascend, uh, uh, give you much more than that because it's just not a lot there. So I'm going to go to the number four on the outline. Number one is a messenger. Number two, we see a movement of the strong angel. Number three, we see a mandate from God. Do not write it, which is a command to stop. Do, don't do it. Then number four, I want to show you the mystery. 
Number four, this is a, it, it's, it's a type of announcement. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven. So he begins with a pledge. Uh, and here the angel in this vision, he got this book in his hand and he's standing on the land and the sea. And what an image that is. Now, interestingly, we, we don't know whether this is something just John sees or whether the people living during real time here going through this are going to see this. We just, we don't know. We assume it's what John sees, and I don't know that whether the people on earth will see it or not. But now this strong angel uh, makes a, 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 a swears by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, there shall be no longer delay. The angel takes a vow, a solemn oath, that what he is about to say is true. Uh, it's not wrong for this to, to happen. He is swearing. Uh, it's right because this is what a, a good angel does. He can only do what is right. Uh, it is a solemn and holy vow before God from one who was right in doing this. The angel swears, and what does he promise? He ends the verse 6, there shall be delay no longer. Now, here is where I get my title for the message, which is God Finally Speaks, because there's an interesting thing to wait to look at Revelation, and that is we look at it as futuristic, it's prophetic, it hasn't happened yet, so we're reading about things that are going to happen. Uh, but there's going to be a generation of people who are going to live through what actually is happening. And so the book of Revelation then can be seen from different perspectives. Uh, one group will be reading this, which will be the generation that's living it, as they, they can read this and, and, and be able to know what's coming or what's happening or why did this happen. And that, that's going to be an amazing thing to be able to have a script kind of, of of what is actually going on outside why is the why is everything being affected things are not going to continue as they always have man even the sun the moon the stars earthquakes violent weather uh, strange conditions and then demonic activity well this will be kind of like a playbook and then uh, again this is a a warning to to those people that there is still time to repent while you can and yet we look at it as a warning for us. If we don't want to go through that, then there's only one escape, and that is to become a believer. But also, during this time of the, those that generation living, and we don't see this as much as looking at it from the future, uh, into the future and seeing this, but the people in real time will see these words as a, a word of comfort. Because imagine this. Imagine being a believer, and you've managed to live this long without uh, anything, uh, without dying, so to speak. Well, it's not so to speak. It, there are many are going to many are going to die. But imagine being a, a believer, believing and, and knowing what's going on, and, and your your every day is going to be. When is it going to stop, Lord? When are you going to stop this? When is it going to end? And when are you going to go ahead and bring your kingdom so that all will be over and you will reign on the earth and we can reign with you on this earth. And so it's a word of encouragement for them that God is in control of this whole thing. The world has not gone crazy or mad or the world has not gone out of control. God is still there. And so what does he promise? In the end of verse 6, there shall be delay no longer. And, and here we are asking uh, what we said at the very beginning of this message last week. Why does God break the silence? 
Or why doesn't he break the silence? Why are we so long in waiting for God to do what he's always said he's going to do? And here comes the answer. There will be delay no longer. God is speaking and is telling. Now imagine the people on earth reading this. They, they won't, may not hear what, what the angel says to John. But they're going to be able to read this section and know that after the demonic activity, this follows. And this is followers, there will be delayed no, no, no longer. Judgment has come. This is the final act. The last plague of the day of the Lord are at hand. And the kingdom will come. Thy will be, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're, we're looking at this from our vantage point, seeing how that is probably going to be a tremendous encouragement. This is the end, the last series of judgments. Now, if you're living there in that time, I would imagine it's a, a bit of a refreshment to think, wow, this is almost over. So in the days of the blowing of the seventh trumpet, the, the finale will come, and when the seventh angel sounds in chapter 11, finally this one is going to happen. <coughs> Verse 15, we read, The kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ, and He reigns forever and ever. So we're on the brink right here. And so here in verse 7, he says, the, the mystery of God is finished. And so this mystery, which is number four on the outline, is no, no longer any delay, but it says the mystery of God is finished. Now, mystery uh, means to shut out or to close. It's not like uh, the kind of mysteries we may read today. The mysteries were, uh, were, were uh, very real in the Old Testament. The word mystery comes over into the New Testament to speak of things, which means God hasn't revealed them. They're referred to as a mystery. The mystery here is the very one we've been talking about. Why, God, why don't you intervene? When will you intervene? When will you act? Now, uh, last week I mentioned this because it is so relevant to look sometimes in an Old Testament verse and you see the, the revealing of it or the explanation of it in the New Testament. One of those cases would be Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, where Habakkuk is crying out to the Lord. And here's what he says, Lord, do something. He looks around, he sees, he sees justice perverted, he sees wickedness, he sees evil, uh, he, just, he sees distortion of, of justice, uh, criminal activity probably in the government. We don't know how far all of that went. But he basically says, God, do something. And that's the way we feel today, and that's the way they're going to feel in the during the tribulation period. But the New Testament word for mystery then is connected to the truth that we're uh, so high only on on this that we sometimes don't see it. In other words, God knows what the mystery is. God knows when He's going to reveal this. He knows when He's going to give us the truth there. And we know that during the tribulation period, people are going to be able to read the book of Revelation, and they're going to have a lot more understanding than we have. We know this from the book of Daniel and the book of Jeremiah. We're told that the people on earth will be reading this. They're going to read Daniel and compare what's going on. They're going to read this. And so what is a could be a mystery now won't be a mystery then. And this is saying that the mystery is finished. Uh, and so the New Testament reveals many of the mysteries of, of the mysteries of the kingdom, uh, mysteries of Israel's blindness or the mystery of the rapture. All of these things are mysteries when we read them in the New Testament and they become clearer and clearer as we get closer to the time of that revealing of what that mystery actually involves. The mystery of Christ, for example, or the mystery of Christ in you. 
which is uh, one of the mysteries that the church looks at. The mystery of godliness, we're told about. The mystery of God's will. All kinds of mystery. But here, the mystery of the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in heaven, things in earth. The final consummation. And he says, this mystery, although unrevealed, was preached to his servants, the prophets. And that's the thing about the mysteries. God knows what they are. We don't know what they are. The prophets who received these definitely did not know what they had. But yet, they were still told to preach this. Prophets wrote about them. The Old Testament prophets wrote about them, spoke about them, gave pronouncements. In fact, when you look at the last one-third of the book of Isaiah, say chapter 40 through chapter 66, that is all a mystery to those who were speaking it and writing it, and to the people, because it's speaking of the kingdom who still hasn't come. And the mystery wasn't even revealed in the New Testament. Because that's why the, uh, the, at the time of Christ, the, the nation of Israel had such a distorted view of what the kingdom was, they had no idea what it was. They had taken bits and pieces, but they couldn't understand the kingdom. They were looking for, uh, uh, they were looking for the, the kingdom, but they were not looking for uh, the true meaning of what, what was pronounced to them. And so the Old Testament prophets were confused, and so the people reading that were confused. They just did not have it. And so, well, listen to this, Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Surely the Lord does, not, uh, does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to the servants of the, the, the prophets. God won't do things he hasn't revealed. So they saw it. They saw it coming. Daniel saw it. Ezekiel saw it. Isaiah saw it. Zechariah saw it. Saw it. Joel saw it. They saw these things coming. They saw the kingdom coming, for example. But they couldn't understand it because it was a mystery to them. And so the angel says, now is the time. Time Delay no longer. God is going to act. In Isaiah eleven nine, we read, The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now remember, at the time of the Revelation, the readers... Uh, of this time we'll be reading this stuff the earth will be full of satanic enterprises uh, demons rushing everywhere murder sexual perversion drug witchcraft thefts dominating the society of the world during the time of the tribulation men dropping dead executed by demons as we saw massacring uh, one another and here comes the promise that god is going to step in and intervene he is going to bring this whole thing to a screeching halt. The delay is over. That's the message that the people living during this time are going to be able to draw from Revelation chapter 10 that we're reading right now. You see, actually, right now we're living in that delay. When he says the delay will be no longer, well, we haven't come to that yet. So we're still living in the delay time. Judgment is held back. <clears throat> but somewhere beyond out there in which which beyond tomorrow a a seventh angel is about to blow his trumpet he's got it in his hand somewhere behind the scenes that we can see he is waiting to hear the decree of the Lord God Almighty there is a day there's an hour there's a moment there's an appointed time when the angel will sound and the world will become Christ again the mystery of God will be over God will say to Satan, this is your destruction. God will say, I think, to evil, this is, this is it. Evil is over. And God will say to the demons, this is your last freedom. And God will say to unbelievers, 
non-believers, this is your last hope or chance. And God will say to the believers, there will be no more suffering. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. The delay is no longer anymore. And so that brings me from the number four of the outline, the mystery, to I think the 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 message of number five uh, on the outline. The message. It, it's the message is uh, really it's wrapped up in verses eight through eleven. And this book that we have talked about would be the subject of what is happening here. The voice, and for example, in verse 8, which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me, saying, go take the book which is open in the hand of the angel and and and, and eat it. Take it, and, and he's going to give you that, but you take it and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, and in your mouth it will be made sweet. Uh, then he said to me, uh, you know, to go and do this. So the angel does does this 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 very unusual thing uh he makes this uh, possible for him so john goes and he asks him for it but I, I want you to notice that when he takes this book uh, he is told to do something with it now he's told to to eat it take the book that is in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and in the land and eat it now that might seem like a strange request one coming out of nowhere it just always thrills me that John is so involved in this vision. He <clears throat> actually has to go and take the book. John is right there. He's in the vision. He's instructed to take the book and eat it. You might think, wow, what kind of book could you eat? Well, we don't know. We don't really know what all this is exactly detailed laid out. But I do know this. In Ezekiel chapter 2, where the Son of Man, Ezekiel, is told to take a scroll that was extended to him, <clears throat> that was written on the front and on the back, uh, lamentations, mournings, and, and woe. Then in chapter 3, the Son of Man, it says in Ezekiel, Son of Man, eat what you find. Eat the scroll. So he says, I opened my mouth, and he fed me the scroll, and I ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth. Well, this is almost a parallel text. It's the idea of taking in the Word of God. And that's been displayed several times throughout the Bible, that we are looked at as the Word of God is eating it or desiring to eat and to, to feast upon the, the Word of God. You say, well, what's the point of eating it? Well, just to illustrate how sweet it is when someone devours its truth, why is it so sweet? Because like all believers... John is waiting for the Lord to act. Ezekiel was waiting on God to act. When he heard that God was going to act, he found it sweet. But when Israel rejected, and what was sweet to, to at first is now is going to become bitter because it means rejection. It means judgment. So John, John takes in the word that God is going to act and is sweet in his taste, but it turns bitter in his stomach. kind of reminds me of, of Psalm 119. Uh, it says this, How sweet are thy words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth, but it's bitter in the stomach. And there, there are so many verses of Scripture that we could apply to this that just would make sense of all this. But God is giving us something here that He's already given to several others, uh, and that is the Word of God. And when I think about the coming of Christ, and I think about the the sweetness of it, of the joy that it brings for people to read it and to study it and to get involved with it, which most do. Most believers do love hearing about the, these truths. 
Uh, it means that Christ is glorified. It means he takes over the world. He destroys Satan and demons. It means the kingdom is coming. It means sin will be conquered. Salvation will be revealed. Christ will reign. That all sounds good. But it also means, once you begin to digest this and study this and expound on this or meditate on this, it means blood and wrath and vengeance and the judgment and hell. Anyone who loves Christ can sense that John was experiencing what John was experiencing here. The blessings of God are are precious and sweet. Every message of hope, of blessings, or of glory, every message of of freedom or liberty or, or salvation of goodness, every promise of heaven is sweet. Every touch of love, every kiss of grace is sweet, as one writer puts it. But oh, the bitterness of judgment! I can't even fathom for you what this is i know i sit and watch the news at night with the 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 russian ukraine uh, armies going at it and the bombing of the the cities and i think how how terrible that must be i can sit here in the comfort of my living room at night uh and in in with with the heater because it's cold up here in st louis and, and in the warmth of my home there's no bombs going off outside I can go out and run to the store and get something to eat. I don't have to walk outside in fear carrying an AK-47 uh, or a fear that the, the air raid sirens will be going off, that bombs are coming in. That is terrible. And so I can imagine what the judgment and, and the people having to live through the tribulation period are going to experience. It's, it's, it's going to be much worse than the war right now going on between Russia and Ukraine. Much worse. Not to diminish what that is, but to just say it's going to be much, much worse during tribulation period. So the bitterness of judgment is there. The bitterness of war would be there. It's bitter for those going through it. We think it's bad over here looking at it, but it's not near as bad for us. Even though we may be touched by higher prices and things, but we're not having to live in it. Think about that when you're watching the news and seeing these buildings receiving these bombs and blowing up and the tears and the, uh, the, the things we're having to see. It, it's just, it's awful. Well, bitterness of judgment is like that. So verse 11 says, They said to me, You must prophesy again. Many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And this is why I gave you what this is. The message of number five. Number five on the outline is the message. And here's the message that he gives them in verse 11. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Here's what that means. The message is, even for us today looking prophetically into the future, the message for us is the same as those living in that day who are going to be able to read this, know what's going on, know they're in that that period where the delay is no longer, that God is actually speaking, and they're drawing their comfort and encouragement from that, the message then will be like it is for us. What does it mean? It means to warn people. Warn people. Continue to warn people. Tell them of the bitter. Tell them of the sweet. Tell them what this seventh trumpet is about to do and what it means and how close and near and real the kingdom of God really is and all the ones... Tell them that. Tell them to taste the honey and avoid the bitter. He is saying to him, repent, 
what you've heard to the peoples, or repeat what you've heard to the peoples and nations and language. Tell them to repent. That's the call. That's the commission. That is what the message of verse 11, or actually all of chapter 10 is. So this wonderful chapter of interlude is one of hope. It's one of hope, even for us, looking out there into the future. And we happen across chapter 10. It's a message of hope for us. That God is still speaking. God is still saving people. Even in the midst of the judgment, people are being saved one by one by one by one. So it's a wonderful chapter. And the whole message of consummation to us who have already asked the question, have been asking the question, how long, O Lord, how long, is hopeful. Christ will be exalted. The kingdom is truly coming. Hope will be realized. Sin will be dethroned. Satan will be imprisoned with all of his demons. And the earth filled with righteousness, the righteousness of God and Christ on the earth. But as one writer puts it, the bitterness, the price that sinners will pay. And like John, we must warn them you know, we, it's not just sitting back and getting excited about what we see in the news. We're not, that's why I, I choose not to do an exposition of the nightly news. I want to do an exposition of the scriptures. I want to know what actually the Bible says. It's easy to let your emotions get heavily involved in what people are predicting. Well, this is this, and this is this. This, this is a sign. This is a sign. It's clear. It's near. It's all this. And that's all good and fine. But boy, the, the, the price that the sinners will pay, and like John, we've got to warn them. We just don't get excited about them. We must preach, again, warning people, warning nations in all languages, even the people in authority, like our leaders. So the interlude of hope, with a serious touch of bitterness, calling us to warn people that they must turn or they will pay a heavenly price. They will pay a dear price, meaning their own life. So while there is breath in people, while there is hope that can still be realized, while there is time, warn people. And folks, let me tell you something. You're never going to warn people if you're not reading God's Word. If you're not taking in a steady diet of God's Word, you will be apathetic and complacent about this. Oh, you might get excited about the rapture, you might get excited about a few current events or a possible coming war with Russia and where God puts a hook in their, their jaws and turns them toward the mountains of Israel. That might excite you. But does God's Word excite you? Read God's Word. Don't give up on God's Word. We're living in some difficult, difficult times. And they're going to get worse. What's it going to be like if the, they take away our Bible? What's it going to be like when hate speech finally rules? How are we going to handle all this? How are we going to fellowship with one another? How are we going to, is it going to affect our prayer time, our reading, our scriptures? We've got some ter terrible days coming, I think, ladies and gentlemen. And I think our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in the Word of God. Our hope is in reading and studying and drawing upon the strength of Christ every day. Don't let it take you. I challenge you. So for now, this is William Rogers thanking you so much for listening today to Hope for the Heart and the message out of the book of Revelation, chapter 10. Next week, 
Well, it's going to be that exciting chapter 11. If you don't know what that is, you can read ahead, but I promise you it will be good. Thank you again for joining us today.